Hey everyone, it's Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects episode, I picked How Magic Mushrooms Work, uh, which came out in 2012. I think we were just kind of starting to dip our toe into um, controversial topics, maybe? Who knows? And I think I remember us being worried we were going to get in trouble for it. Well, we didn't, so here it is again. Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant with me. Uh, and this is the Far Out Podcast, Stuff You Should Know. That's right. We, we're kicking off. This is our first show we're recording in 2012. And uh, Josh thought, let's kick it off with the little Almond Brothers and, uh, and get psychedelic. Exactly. That's who you think of when you think psychedelia? Well, Almond they, Brothers? they were known for uh, having mushrooms on their uh, album covers and t-shirts, and it was a very common thing. Those are peaches. No. They had mushrooms all over the place. Oh, okay. Yeah. But generally, no. Of course, you think of like you know the Grateful Dead. I Jefferson Airplane? Yeah. The... 13th quick, floor elevators. Yeah, Quicksilver <laughs> Messenger Service. Moby yeah. Grape. Strawberry Alarm Clock. Right. <laughs> Chocolate Watch Band. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, of course. Who? Yeah. So, Chuck, uh, you're familiar with psychedelia rock and roll? Of course. Are you familiar with psychedelia as far as psychedelics are concerned? I know you are. And do you want to know how I know you are? Because we podcasted on it. That's exactly right. LSD and CIA. What else? We've, it seems like we've can hit it. psychedelics treat mental illness. That's right. That was a big one. That kind of overlaps with some of this. Um, we're going to lay a lot of the blame of all of the lost research, decades of it, at the feet of Timothy Leary, the man who ruined everything. Yeah. Um, and what we're talking about? Pardon my uh, sniffles, by the way. I'm not sick. Mentally, I'm not allowing myself to think of me as sick. I, yeah. I have sniffles. That's, that's what I did. I was like, no, I'm not sick. I'm just not going to let it happen. And you, look at you. You look fantastic. Yeah, it was just a few days. I think if I would have wallowed in it, it would have been more than a week. I'm not, yeah, I'm not letting myself. Like, I hit it hard, man. Like, tons of fluids and emergency and airborne and fruits and that was fine. Okay. You'll be great. Airborne? You know, that's like wholly discredited. It's the same thing as emergency, pretty much. It's just like vitamins and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But it doesn't keep you from getting sick. I think that's how it's discredited. But it'll it'll help you out, like, in a vitamin-y way. Right. All right. Some college kids <laughs> are just like, get to the mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's get to the mushrooms, Chuck. Okie dokie. Um, Chuck. Josh. I've got no real intro other than I think we should talk about the history of mushrooms first. Okay. What do you think? I think that sounds great. Um, apparently, there's a, a lot of um, debate over how long people have been using magic mushrooms. Yeah. Um, as far as religious rituals, recreationally, who knows? But yeah. the the supposition is that it goes back thousands and thousands of years. Uh, for example, there's a cave painting in um, Algeria that's nine thousand years old. Um, that supposedly depicts mushrooms. There's another one in Spain that's 6,000 years old that depicts mushrooms. Sure. Um, and, I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that when you think of Native American tribes, Amerindian tribes, Mesoamerican tribes, um, these people have customarily eaten magic mushrooms all this time, right? 
Well, that's what one camp says is, hey, they've been used in religious rites for thousands of years in Central America and Northern Africa, like you said. Yeah. So uh, what's the rub? But then there's another camp that says, hey, you can't prove that. You're just seeing what you want to see when you look at that K painting or that Allman Brothers cover. (laughs) And uh, just because there's a mushroom on the wall doesn't mean that they ate magic mushrooms. Uh, What did the Aztecs have? uh, Uh, How do you pronounce that? I I don't know. I've never been good at pronouncing Aztec, but I can take (laughs) a stab at it if you'd like me to. Sure. Teonanoctal. Right. They called it the flesh of the gods, and they used the substance. We know that. We just don't know what it was. But a lot of people think that it might have been, quote-unquote, magic mushrooms. Right. Uh, they also made statues of it, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and you generally only do that back in the day if you if it's a very revered substance. Right. They're if not going to make a statue of just, like, whatever. No. Uh, if we can speak in likelihoods, uh, there were, we know there were mushrooms, or we assume that there were these mushrooms growing wild like they are today. Sure. In these areas, that these people were hunters and gatherers and foragers, so likely tried these mushrooms. If they did try these mushrooms, they probably wigged out, right? Isn't that the clinical term? I think they call it a trip. Okay. Man. Uh, They tripped and um, probably started incorporating it into their cave art, you know? Like that's, teenagers that's what, do today. Sure. Exactly. On, their, on their book covers. <laughs> on their notebooks. Yeah. Uh, it has been confirmed uh, in contemporary tribes in Central America, including the Mazatec, the Mixtec, the Nahua, and the Zapotec. So all the techs are way into it. Yeah. At least these days. Right. So if they eat it these days, I would say chances are they probably ate it back in the day as well. Right. Okay. So um, as far as the West is concerned... Um, uh, it, I'm sorry. It wasn't also. It's not just um, Amer- uh, Middle America, right. Mesoamerica, Northern Africa, and Spain. You mean like a Middle America, like Ohio and Michigan? <laughs> right. Okay. It's not just uh, Kansas that's on mushrooms. Um, the Sami. Have you heard of the Sami people? No. So uh, they're Finnish. They're like indigenous Finnish oh. tribes. Like Bjork uh-huh. clearly has Sami in her. Like the her look is right. very Sami. Um, I like that look. Yeah, well, you'd like the Samis. Cool looking. Um, they love mushrooms so much that they are known to drink the urine of reindeer that have just recently ingested mushrooms. And there's, really? Yeah, there's an art installation in, I think, Berlin recently of this guy who had a bunch of magic mushrooms in this pen, uh-huh. a bunch of reindeer in them, and he was having the reindeer eat the mushrooms and then collecting their urine and storing it. Well... My question to him is, why would he go about it that way if he has the magic mushrooms? Did it, like, increase the potency or something like that? I don't know. You'd probably be better off asking a Sami person than yeah. him. Sure. I don't know if, like, um, it's like that coffee we failed to mention that's <laughs> fed to, like, ferrets. And they poop out the coffee bean. Right, exactly. And then they roast that into coffee. Exactly. It's status. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, people have probably been eating magic mushrooms for a long time. But the, uh, among Westerners, it was totally unthought of, unheard of, unknown until the 50s, right? Yeah. Uh, in 1955, a writer, uh, well, he's a mycologist who studies mushrooms. Mm-hmm. His name was R. Gordon Wesson, and he traveled to Mexico a lot back in the 50s, searching out mushrooms, not for magic mushroom purposes, but he was just into mushrooms. Right. And he participated in a ritual 
there. He, he and his wife did together. Well, not not at first. I, actually, did you read the article? No. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. You should read it sometime. He he took a colleague down there first. Later on, he took his wife and daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and she was like eighteen. So he was like, "Ah, sure, she's old enough." And they all tripped on these mushrooms. But I'd like to read a selection, if I may. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Alan is his friend, by the way. Is that Alan Heim? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, Alan and I were determined to resist any effects that they might have to observe better the events of the night, but our resolve soon melted before the onslaught of the mushrooms. Alan felt cold and wrapped himself in a blanket. A few minutes later, he leaned over and whispered, Gordon, I'm seeing things. I told him not to worry. I was too. <laughs> Uh, we were never more wide awake, and the visions came whether our eyes were open or closed. They emerged from the center of our field of vision, opening up as they came, now rushing, now slowly, at the pace that our will chose. They began with art motifs. Motifs? <laughs> Fractals is another word. Motifs. Angling such as might decorate carpets or textiles or wallpaper or the drawing board of an architect. Then I saw a mythological beast drawing a regal chariot. And then he goes on to describe all sorts of things, including seeing not an imperfect view of ordinary life, but the archetypes, the platonic ideas that underlie the imperfect images of everyday life. Hmm. So he was tripping hard. It sounds like it. Yeah. And that's unusual that he um, says that he saw something in a chariot because mushrooms and LSD are, although they're hallucinogens, they don't cause actual hallucinations. They tend to... Just mess with... Distort things that are already there. Exactly. I have an answer for that, because I thought the same thing. He did it in darkness. Oh, okay. So, I mean, on drugs or not, if you go and sit in a dark room sure. long enough, you're going to start seeing things in your mind's eye, and I think that's what was going on. You're he was imagining a, these You're things. such an R. Gordon Wasson apologist, <laughs> Chuck. He was pretty moved, though, and he wrote this article in Life, and... Uh, the editor picked out the title Seeking the Magic Mushroom. Yeah, that's where the name came from. A Life magazine editor in 1957 coined the term Magic Mushroom. Who knew? Um, after that little trip, um, Wasson and Heim recruited uh, Albert Hoffman, who was the chemist who created LSD, isolated LSD, Yeah, and said, hey, man, we know what you're into. Take these mushrooms and mm-hmm. figure out what's going on with them. And he did... And he isolated the active ingredient, a, um, what is it, a trypto... It's a tryptamine, which is an yes. alkaloid. Thank you. It's actually related to tryptophan. Okay. The turkey stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, it happens to you on turkey. But the tryptamine is, uh, the two are psilocybin and psilocin. So psilocin is, uh, that's the metabolite of psilocybin. Okay. Psilocybin is the active ingredient, the tryptamine, found in mushrooms. And then when you, when you ingest it, your body breaks down the psilocybin into psilocyne, and they're starting to come to realize that psilocyne is probably the culprit behind everything. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, before we move on, I want to point out in the article, he, uh, he did it quite a few times in Mexico, and then he said later on, just to test to see if it was part of just the communal experience of being there. Yeah. He, he, uh, went back to New York City and, uh, and took some and he said it was even better in New York City. <laughs> also, he disproved that. He's like, I love New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, Albert Hoffman isolates psilocybin. Uh, 
And Sandoz, who we worked for, who also started mass producing LSD, started mass producing psilocybin as well. And, um, the psychological psychiatry community got its hands on it and started studying it. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the studies later, but as early as the sixties, they realized that, um, obsessive disorders, um, could be treated right. with psilocybin. Until they shut it down. They totally shut it down. Uh, psilocybin, magic mushrooms, um, any of the psilocybin mushrooms are a schedule one drug, which is kind of unusual because, um, study after study has shown that mushrooms aren't habit forming or addictive and that, you know, they kind of do have a lot of medical uses, which again we'll talk about in a little bit. But let's talk about the mushrooms themselves, Chuck. They are a, Plant, a mineral, a fungus, or an an animal? They're an animal. Okay. (laughs) Uh, They're a fungus, and uh, that means it grows from a spore. And uh, each little mushroom, in the case of psilocybin mushrooms, has anywhere from 0.2 to 0.4% psilocybin, which is a very small amount. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, the uh, National Survey on Drug Use and Health in 2003 did a survey and they found that um, about 8% of adults over 26, which to me makes this an invalid study already. Right. If they didn't include 20 to 25. Right. Um, 8% have, have tried it at some point. I saw like teenagers, um, something like around 8%, but it was hallucinogens um, other than LSD. Oh, really? Which includes like PCP and stuff like that. Oh, really? It seems kind of weird to lump those together. Hmm. Um, but in Europe, the prevalence is probably higher, um, between 0.3% and 14.1% of use at least once in the person's lifetime. Between 0.3 and 14? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, and let's then just call it 14. For, okay. You know. And then for some reason, um, the Czech Republic and Slovakia report the highest use among teenagers of magic mushrooms. I'm not sure why. Interesting. Yeah. It's a nice place to be. I was about to bag on it and say, you'd do it too, but it's lovely. Yeah. Or maybe that's why they're doing it, because it is lovely. <laughs> right. Because New York City is the best. Uh, so, Timothy Leary, we failed to mention, but of course, obviously, he sunk his teeth into it, literally. Mm-hmm. And like you said earlier, like all things, he kind of killed the psychedelic movement in a way as he was actually creating it. Yeah. By making it, you know, a hippie burnout thing. Well, he definitely delegitimized it. I mean, there are a lot of people who were studying um, uh, LSD and psilocybin and sure. um, ibogaine, all those, to see how they can help people with mental illness. And Leary was like, no, man, let's just completely screw the establishment with this <laughs> stuff. Well, and he's the one who established the whole set and setting thing. Right, which is still in use today, uh, including in this article yeah. from HowStuffWorks.com. Set and setting are um, defined in here. Um, do you want to talk about it? Well, the, this is the trip, as they call it. Uh, the mushroom trip is very dependent on set and setting, uh, the frame of mind that you have going into it, uh, where you are, the setting, obviously, if it's you know some kind of stressful, highly organized thing like if you're in school or you're like in a train station and somebody's like you're gonna miss your train you're gonna miss your train it's probably not a good idea right um or if you're hanging out with friends and you're camping or you're doing something there where you have no stress involved 
and you have the right outlook going in, Timothy Leary says, that's what you want as far as going into this whole thing. Right. Set is mindset and setting is your environment. Um, also, studies have found that even um, what are called drug-naive people can have um, a positive experience on um, psilocybin mushrooms if there is if what's about to happen to them is explained to them ahead of time, that that's a big part of it, too, is knowing what you're getting into going into it. Well, and that's a big part of these studies we're going to talk about later on was these people were all coached ahead of time by people, you know, they call them uh, their guides is what they Sh- are. Shame, shaman? <laughs> no, they're research assistants who have had previous experience right. with psychotropics. Gotcha. But they would explain to them what they're about to get into, and that would obviously help them along as they're going in. But they do mention the guide thing in here, uh, in this article. Uh, they say that a lot of people, um, because, you know, you can have a bad trip, which the only thing you can do there is to ride it out. Obviously, you can't turn off the effects, which is a very important thing to note. <laughs> it doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. Although, supposedly, um, in the emergency room, they usually prescribe sedatives. And oh, really? And that supposedly helps a bad trip. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Um but they say in the article here, new users are often advised to have an experienced friend uh, guide them through the experience. Like, uh, did you see Flirting with Disaster? Yeah. Lily Tomlin? <laughs> when oh, they, yeah. They, they accidentally dosed the cop, and right. she was like, Alan Alden's like, she's a great guide. He'll be fine. Yeah. And then she just kind of coaches him through the thing. I was looking up movies um, that have mushrooms in them, and I was having a lot of trouble. I found, like, Altered States. Well, this was LSD, but... Oh, yeah. Okay. But I guess that's a good time to mention that LSD and psilocybin mushrooms are very similar in the effect, uh, although they say that mushrooms are generally milder and don't last as long. Yeah. Their chemical composition is very, very similar. Do you know how similar? I think there's like one um, hydroxy. Really? That's different. But they're pretty close. Very close, yeah. When they made LSD, did they try to synthesize Psilocybin was that where they were after? No, or was it because they a- didn't know that psilocybin existed until after LSD had been synthesized? Oh, right. Interesting, because you know he did LSD in 1945. That's right. He didn't do psilocybin until the late. That's 50s. quite a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, do you know what's going on in the brain? Do you know what the whole secret is behind magic mushrooms? Uh. Central nervous system. There's some kind of it inhibits it inhibits something, right? Uh, no, it does the opposite. It's an agonist. Oh, which I came to realize that agony means that you feel everything. I'm in agony means you're feeling everything. Yeah, an agonist um, binds to a receptor, like a uh, in your brain. Okay, that releases a neurotransmitter, and in this case, um, psilocybin or psilocin mm-hmm. binds to a serotonin. Receptors, of course it does, and says release the serotonin, right? And your synapses are flooded with serotonin, and that's what gives what clinical researchers basically call the sensation of just being overwhelmed by sensation. Interesting, yeah. It's all serotonin, man. Although there is evidence that it affects your dopamine, yeah, uh, receptors, but not directly, like indirectly, which would kind of give you a sense of euphoria. Right. Uh, so, Josh, some of the side effects uh, w- when uh, someone has taken mushrooms include dizziness and nausea, right? Um, muscle weakness, loss of appetite, and numbness. Um, sometimes uh, there could be vomiting. 
sometimes anecdotally experts have said that inducing vomiting is a way to cease the nausea when you're experiencing nausea in right. a mushroom trip. Yeah. And uh, it said they're not considered to be addictive, and you can build up a tolerance really quick. Yeah. Um, it, it says here in the article that, like, for example, taking mushrooms two days in a row um, is going to make the effects of them on the second day far less pronounced, I guess. Yeah, and one of the guys in these studies, too, um, I believe takes them for cluster headaches, and he's taken them so much that they don't have psycho hallucinogenic properties anymore. Huh. It's just like medicine for him. Weird. Yeah. Really gross fungal medicine. No, nah, I think he might take a pill. Oh, okay. I'm not sure, though. Um, all, the tolerance also, um, you can build up a cross tolerance. So, like, if you took a bunch of mushrooms one day and then the next day took mescaline or LSD, those effects would be dampened as well. And I think it has to do with the fact that it's all it's your serotonin. Right. But if you do that, that means a lot of other things as well about you. It does. <laughs> you know? Yes. I don't know what, but... Oh, you know what? Okay. You you have a t-shirt that has an Allman Brothers album cover means, on it. It means you're a hippie. A dirty, dirty, smelly hippie. So, um, <laughs> Chuck, some of the other effects of tripping on shrooms is um, euphoria mm-hmm. or dysphoria. Yeah. And also sometimes a very rapid shift between the two. Sure. Um, basically being really happy and then being terrified. Right. Um, and then depersonalization, which is a sense that you are not yourself or you belong to somebody else or there's, you, you lose your sense of self. And then derealization, which is the sense that you are in a dream or that, n- man, this isn't real. Nothing is right. real. That kind of thing. Uh, the passage of time is often, uh, distorted, uh, whether it's like, have we been talking about this for five hours or five minutes or the other way around? I think it can go either way. I found a study that um, showed – it basically tested that. It gave people psilocybin and then did like time interval tests and found oh, that really? like, two to three seconds is about the most that a person can successfully achieve As, these tests. Oh, really? Yeah. Like wow. beyond three seconds, they start to get really bad at it. And they also – found the person's tapping preference, which I guess is like if you're just sitting there tapping, you know, your fingers, uh-huh. what your preference is, and it's slower w- w- when you're on mushrooms. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, And like you said, that you don't actually hallucinate. Like, you're not going to be sitting there and see pink elephants dancing across the room. But if there's a painting of a pink elephant, uh, it might appear as if the elephant were breathing or moving or shifting, or if you hear something like... Uh, a song or running water or, you know, a creek or something like that, you might hear other things within that sound. Yes. But not completely imagine them. Right. So one of the things we were talking about was that, sure, mushrooms have been around for thousands of years, growing wild like they do today. And um, that's where a lot of people get their mushrooms, apparently. Yeah. Is just foraging it for them. One of the big problems is that... um, while there are a lot of mushrooms in the genus psilocybe, which we probably should have mentioned earlier. Yeah. That's, there's the big spoiler. Yeah. All the mushrooms are in the same genus. Um, there, there's a lot that look like them, too, and that might grow in similar places yeah. that will shut down your kidneys. Yeah. So you have to be very careful yeah. when you're foraging for fresh wild mushrooms if you're into that kind of thing, which neither Chuck nor I 
um, suggest should be done. Yeah, we're not endorsing this. No, I'm just saying, okay. like, this is in the article. Yeah, I thought that was implicit, but it's probably a good time to COA. Yeah. Um, in the article, they also point out that even experienced uh, mushroom hunters uh, have made mistakes uh, out there in the dark, in the field, among the, the cows. So, um, it, yeah, it can be toxic. It's not a good idea to just go picking mushrooms growing in it. Exactly. A cow pie, oh, and also in your mouth. that that holds true for if you're looking for truffles or you know edible mushrooms. Yeah, um, yeah, you want to kind of know what you're doing. Um, one way to tell what kind of mushroom you're looking at is to create a spore print, uh-huh. which apparently you take a piece of paper and you take the cap of the mushroom. Yeah, there's a stem and a cap, mm-hmm. um, and in the genocilicide, most of them are fairly small. So the cap is about one inch tall. Yeah. the stem's about three inches tall. Generally, um, but you take the cap and you place it gill side down. If you have ever looked at the underside of a mushroom, there's the gills are just so weird looking. Yeah, little powdery, uh, powdery gills. Powder is the spores. Yeah. You press the gills down on the paper and it should leave a, an imprint of the spores. And if you know what you're doing, you can identify more easily or more um, closely the kind of mushroom you're dealing with. Um, so we said that there's like dozens of species, I think, of psilocybe mushrooms. Yeah, there's tons of them. Uh, a couple of really popular ones, though, uh, as far as ingestion goes, are the psilocybe cubensis. Uh, it's one of the most common ones. It's a little larger uh, as far as magic mushrooms go. It's got a golden cap. I'm sorry, it's called the golden cap or Mexican mushroom. That's I the think street name. I that, think. That's the one that um, our Gordon Wasser probably was yeah, probably trying. Yeah, probably trying. In Mexico. Yeah. Um, and it's got usually a reddish-brown cap, a white or yellowish stem. And here's an important thing. When it's bruised or crushed, um, it can turn blue. And a lot of people will say... Hey, that's how you know it's a magic mushroom is if it turns blue when you crush it. Mm-hmm. And that's not true because uh, there are toxic varieties that do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, that's a good way to get yourself in trouble. Um, it's also coprophilic, which means that it grows in poop. Yeah. Um, Moist environments, very humid environments. And hot. Yeah, like uh, South Georgia, let's say. Or Florida. Oh, yeah. Which apparently, I didn't look to see, but as of February 2009 at least... Um, is the only state in the union that where it isn't illegal to, I guess, pick or possess fresh psilocybe mushrooms. Fresh as in non-dried out. Right. Yeah, that's true. Huh. Or it was two years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, is it still, do you know? I don't know. And when they say the reasoning is that, hey, it grows in the wild, people pick mushrooms and might pick them by accident, so we don't want to send you to prison if something's an right. accident. Plus... The Rainbow family is in Ocala, and we can't. <laughs> we don't want to screw up their jam. One of the uh, one of the other more popular ones is the Psilocybe semilanciata. Nice, Chuck. Or the Liberty Cap. Yep. And um, it also is found in damp, grassy fields populated by cattle, but it doesn't grow directly on the dung. Right. And it's a little pointy cap, light yellow and brown, and it's smaller than the uh, the Golden Cap Mexican. Right. And then uh, I guess one of the other, uh, the big three is uh, P. baocystis uh, or the bluebell or bottle cap. So, Chuck, if one were disposed to um, take mushrooms, uh, what, according to the article, would the person do? Take, do? Well, I mean. What are, what are the people who are taking mushrooms doing with them? We, we talked about foraging. 
that's one one way you can buy them, which is illegal, mm-hmm. and we don't recommend it. Obviously, um, it's illegal even to have spores, which is um, yeah. surprising because spores don't actually contain psilocybin, yeah, which is what's outlawed. It's a weird loophole, right? But it's not a loophole. It's the what's the opposite of a loophole? The donut, the donut part, the minus uh, the hole, the munchkin. Okay. That's the donut hole is the yeah, munchkin. I rem- I know, I'm familiar with munchkins, <laughs> believe me. Okay. Um, and then you can grow your own, obviously, but uh, if you're looking to buy this kind of thing in the United States, you know, they sell it uh, much like marijuana in uh, ounces and quarter ounces and eighth ounces. And uh, an I know eighth- the uh, an eighth is defined in this. It's 3.5 grams. In this um, article. This is the craziest article on the site. It has to be. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because at one point she, she talks about, who wrote this? Shana Freeman? Shana talks about, uh, the ones on the Gulf Coast give you a mellower high, but the Thai mushrooms <laughs> give you a much more intense high. Right. <laughs> it's crazy. It is. Um, and when they dry out, uh, which is when most people, uh, have them, they're dried out, uh, they will lose some of their, uh, psychotropic properties in the drying process, but, they retain these properties, I don't know about indefinitely, but for years. Yeah. Well, because you're, you're not just drying them. I think you have to freeze dry them or you have to dry them. There's like a, a certain way to dry them, I think, that kind of locks in everything. Locks in the flavor? Right. <laughs> the gross. Which apparently is flavor. very unfortunate. Um, some mushrooms have a reported flowery taste. That sounds awful. Um, sour or bitter. So it's not very fun, which means that a lot of people um, do crazy stuff with their mushrooms to make them more palatable. Chocolates. Mushroom chocolates is sure. one. Um, soaking liquor, soaking their mushrooms in liquor, like tequila or rum. Uh-huh. Um, just basically grinding them up and putting them into capsules so like you don't taste anything at all. Yeah, like a mushroom pill. Um, or making mushroom tea. Which supposedly, if you cook or um, brew mushrooms, it's it it supposedly doesn't have an effect on the um, the potency. Yeah, the experience the user has, and it reportedly uh, comes on quicker as well. And anecdotally, people have even been known to eat the slimy remains of the tea. Gross. That's what I think. I mean, everything about mushrooms are gross, but slimy. I don't what, like mushrooms? regular mushrooms. Like it's, I know they supposedly don't have much of a taste, and they're put in foods for texture. But I don't like the texture. Yeah, it just the whole thing grosses me out. Right. So, um, about one gram of dried mushrooms is a, apparently a very small dose. Four grams um, is a a medium dose for an adult. I read um, medium to large. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and I guess one P. cubensis, the Mexican mushroom, dried is about a gram, one decent size one. And when they, when these, uh, one gram or four grams or whatever the dosage is taken, uh-huh. um, is ingested, uh, you apparently within 20 minutes, if you take it orally, 20 to 30 minutes, you start to experience symptoms and they last for, um, something like six hours. Depending on like, the potency, I guess. Well, yeah, that's what. How many you've taken? That's what Shana Freeman says in this article. Is right. that like the there? There's differences between from mushroom to mushroom, from person to person. Right. Um. Yeah. The, I mean, it's not like Sandoz is making this stuff anymore. Right. 
So we mentioned foraging. Right. We mentioned uh, buying off the street, neither of which we recommend. No, again, this is all highly illegal. I mean, a Schedule One drug yeah. will get you a severe prison sentence. You might as well be caught with heroin sure. or um, cocaine or PCP. Like this is it, this is as yeah. bad as it gets. It's not getting be, caught with this. Just because you can go out in the cow field and find some doesn't yeah. mean you should take it lightly. You're right. No, this is huge, man. That's a huge, huge yeah. prison sentence. Very good. To point it's out. like a life ruining prison sentence. It is very. Although much. I guess probably just about any prison sentence is fairly life ruining, but this is like double life ruining. <laughs> it's huge. Uh, Mycology. You can actually grow these things, and that's what some people do, some cultivators do. This is also extremely illegal. Very much illegal. Uh, you st- and even so, we're going to tell you how to do it, <laughs> because this is stuff you should know. Okay. Okay. Uh, is it? Yes. Well, it's stuff that some people should know. Well, I guess at the very least, it's part of explaining everything. It's on our website. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry's just in there cracking. <laughs> I know. Um, you have to have a spore because that's the first thing you need for the mushroom to grow. Uh, spore grows onto one mushroom, but a mushroom can have thousands and thousands of spores. Right. On the underside, the little powdery stuff that we we're talking about. And remember we talked about taking spore prints for identification. Those same spore prints are um, often what you get in the mail when you mail order um Mushroom kits. Right. Uh, you can't just throw these spores in the ground. They have to be hydrated with uh, clean water, uh, meaning distilled water. And you can even buy syringes uh, that are filled, pre-filled, with spores and sterile water right. from suppliers if you don't want to make your own. Right. So you remember in the um, earthworm episode, we talked about duff. Yeah, yeah. That, that organic, light, spongy, organic material. You have to make your own version of duff. Yeah. Um, using brown flour, uh, vermiculite, which is the little white pebbly stuff in like potting soil. Yeah. Um, and water. And you just kind of mix it together and it creates duff, a fluffy kind of spongy layer. And I think rice flour too, because I think wheat flour might, uh, I think it might mold easier or something. Oh, okay. I might be wrong. Um, and you create what's called the substrate cake, which is great. It's a great growing medium for, um, mushrooms. Yeah, it's like your soil. Right, pretty much. Um, and you cr- you put this little substrate cake in a can, like a jar, right? Yeah, canning jar. And then you put it, you put the canning jar in the canning bath, yeah, or pressure cooker, yeah, which sterilizes the insides. That's right. And then, I guess you inject the spores. If you have like a, a syringe with the spores in it, you inject it into the jar. Yeah, po- poke some holes in the lid. And then that eventually will grow a kind of a white ropey growth called um, mycelium. Yeah, it's got to be at, at a very steady, humid environment. It's about 75 degrees Fahrenheit, 23 Celsius. And within about a week, like you said, you get the mycelium. And then uh, if you get mold and stuff like that, that means you know it wasn't a, a good environment. But uh, eventually, once it's covered mycelium, you're going to put that into a plastic container for fruiting uh, and under the right humid, warm conditions and grow mushrooms. And each little cake can grow a lot of mushrooms. Yeah, like a thousand or a hundred? Yeah, not at once, obviously. No, they grow in waves, supposedly. And you harvest and then more come and you harvest and more come. And then over the course of a month is where you get your mushrooms from the cake. 
again, very illegal yes. to buy any of this stuff or to engage in growing any of this stuff. Um, and let's talk about that, Chuck. I think it's high time we got to the law part of it. Um, like we said, mushrooms, since I think 1970, are um, a Schedule One drug. Um, and like we said, Schedule One drugs are defined as drugs that are highly addictive and have no medical use. Um, which is kind of weird to put mushrooms in there, but they are in there. I, I don't think you can argue that with the DEA that comes and busts down your door to break up your mushroom growing operation that, hey man, these <laughs> things are not addictive and there's all sorts of medical uses for them. Although it probably won't be the DNA, uh, with mushrooms the is DEA. probably going to be, what I say? DNA. Did I really? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be the DEA either. You're freaking out. I know. It is uh, likely not going to be the DEA either because it's probably going to be a state. Although, is there state DEA? Or there's uh, yeah, something there's like, like that the on the state GBI? level? GBI? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's the, yeah, there's, each state has a Bureau of Investigation that I think kind of acts like the, the DEA. state DEA. But it, unless you have like some big large operation going on, it's probably not going to be a federal crime. It's probably going to be a, a state crime. Right. Um, and it, time was you could order kits like the ones we described, um, on the internet over through the mail. Uh, or, or, if you do that now, yeah. you are going to get in a lot of trouble. The DEA probably will come to your house or intercept it or both. Um, and that was, that's the, been the case since 2003 for the states. It, it's been illegal, but apparently they started cracking down on yeah. kits. Not that long ago. In 2003. Um, in Great Britain, uh, in 2005, it was still legal to have, um, mushrooms, fresh mushrooms. Yeah. But, uh, that's not the case any longer. Um, and then in Amsterdam, even Amsterdam, I was surprised to, to learn of this. Uh, in 2001, they outlawed um, dried mushrooms. Yes. And then in 2008, they outlawed fresh mushrooms. So you can't have any mushrooms in uh, the Netherlands. But in Mexico, they do have exceptions for uh, indigenous peoples and being used in ceremonies and such. We do in the United States as well, um, but not necessarily for psilocybe mushrooms um, more for, I think, peyote is the one that's got the big exception. Oh, really? Yeah. N- the Native American church is allowed to use peyote. So, Josh, we yeah. said that for many years, about 35 years or so, it was shut down as far as research goes, as, you know, potential medical benefits. Mm-hmm. Uh, since, I don't know when they... Said you can again, but I know in 2006, Johns Hopkins started uh, a long-term research study along with some other places, but Johns Hopkins really has headed this up. And uh, they found out a lot of really interesting things, like you said, OCD uh, and some eating disorders, some compulsive eating disorders. Yeah, so basically any compulsion? Yeah, they found that uh, in the in a journal of clinical psychiatry, it was written that uh, study Proved, well, not proved, indicated that uh, for a period of about 4 to 24 hours, uh, they remained symptom-free for that period, and sometimes it was even for days, and that they said that there is no treatment that eases the symptoms as fast, because it's pretty much immediate. Of the compulsive disorders? Yeah. I, I would imagine it's you're, you have a compulsion or your compulsion is exacerbated by a lack of serotonin. You take mushrooms, yeah. and all of a sudden your brain is flooded with psilocy- or, uh, serotonin. 
Cluster headaches? Yeah, this one was interesting. I read about this as well. Uh, cluster headaches are pretty much the worst pain you can have in your head. They liken it to childbirth without anesthesia. Jeez. And um, in England, this is in the, the Guardian that I read this, there are about 6,000 uh, people in England that suffer these attacks, um, sometimes daily, uh, with no more than a couple of weeks remission. And It's called the um, cluster period. Uh, with the remission or... Like the, these these periods where you have them, right? Well, yeah. So Cluster period. Apparently, psilocybin helps us out a lot. And this one guy, uh, Richard Aleph, says that uh, he's tried conventional treatments and everything his whole life, and the only thing that brought him relief was the magic mushrooms, and even by some longer periods of remission mm-hmm. between attacks. Yeah. So there's another treatment. Um, there's also, you know, whenever you hear of. Um, uh, mushrooms or psychedelics or hallucinogens in general, like the whole idea of uh, religious epiphany or feeling like you're a one with the universe or something. Yeah, a mystical um, experience. Right. Uh, early on in the West, the West study of um, mushrooms, this this was kind of noted, and there was this famous study in 1963 where they gave psilocybin to a group of divinity students and sent them to church. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And um, they, of course, reported like all sorts of wonderful mystical feelings and connections with God and religion and um, just every enlightenment, basically, right. is what they reported, um, which is not that surprising because, you know, I think you could have called that one, right? Sure. But the, what's very surprising is that 25 years later, they've, they've surveyed the participants again, um, and the people who had received psilocybin, um, reported a great, a greater number of positive life changes than people who hadn't been given psilocybin, like the controls who'd gotten placebo instead. Well, that's what Johns Hopkins has found so far too. They, they did, uh, a study on 18 adults is just one of them. And 94% said that it was one of the top five most meaningful experiences in their lives. Yeah. 40% said it was the single most meaningful experience. And then they interviewed them again a year later and found that they still felt that way and had these changes in uh, uh, empathy, uh, greater understanding of people, less judgment. And their family members even noticed that mm-hmm. they were uh, calmer, happier, and kinder because Griffiths, Dr. Griffiths is the guy leading this. He thinks that they found the sweet spot, which is just enough to get you to that place, but not so much that it could have an adverse effect. Right. I got one more, too, if you're up for it. I am, man. WebMD. This is just a couple of months ago. WebMD's uh, conducting psilocybin studies? No, now? they were just reporting on Johns Hopkins again, oh, gotcha. which is party central, I guess. <laughs> um, personality in humans is generally pretty fixed after the age of 30, they say. And it takes something like a, 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 a job change or a big move or a death in the family or a divorce, mm-hmm. like something really big to affect your personality in any meaningful way, mm-hmm. generally, unless you take mushrooms once, <laughs> really, is what they found. Uh, openness uh, decreases across decades very slightly, and people generally become rigid and less creative. Uh, but the 52 adults that volunteered to eat psilocybin um, from the ages of 24 to 64, 57% had transcendent mystical experiences while taking the drug. And... They said measurable increases in openness, which is one of five key uh, parts of your personality. 
And it did not affect the other four parts, which is interesting, which is neuroticism, extroversion, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. But apparently it makes people more open and creative. What's crazy to me is looking at like the studies and what they're doing in the studies. Like, um, they found that, uh, I think like, um, two milligrams or five milligrams, some ridiculously large amount of psilocybin injected intravenously through an IV drip was, um, like too much. Patients, patients started, (laughs) uh, started reporting that the, the experiences were a little overwhelming and terrifying. Yeah. Can't you imagine some poor sap in like a hospital room getting like three milligrams of psilocybin delivered intravenously? That's not set in setting. Um, and there's also, uh, there's been a lot of cats, dogs, rabbits, um, monkeys, Cats, I think I said rats, mice. Cats really love it, though. Um, that have been given psilocybin over the course of time uh, in the name of research. Or eaten it in the wild, I imagine. Well, have you ever seen The Bear, the documentary that follows the two bears? No. The bear eats mushrooms. Oh, really? And they have this big like scene where it's like just tripping and flowers are blooming and the sky is just moving with the stars and everything. And we were looking closely. You and I were checking it out last night. Um, the, it's clearly a person dressed as a bear tripping. <laughs> so we went and did a little research. We're like, this is a documentary. Right. And yeah, they, they had somebody dress up as a bear for that part. But the actual bear did actually eat Mushrooms, they just, the, the director was taking a lot of artistic license. Yeah, I would say so. But you, and it's, you have to imagine, like, what's it like for an animal? Like, how can sure. we even tell? Yeah. Apparently, uh, mice, mice show that they're hallucinating through head twitches. And then monkeys who, um, have been taught to self-inject psilocybin, uh-huh. um, tend to, uh, zone out. Fixed staring is what that's called. Yeah. Or they'll um, grasp at unseen objects. <laughs> can you imagine some <laughs> poor monkey doing that? I can. Okay. Uh, oh, it'd be fair, too, that the um, WebMD report, you know, 60% said they had these transcendent mystical experiences, but a lot of people also had bad trips. Sure. Had harrowing bouts of fear and anxiety. So, yeah. you know, we're not saying that's like... Take mushrooms and everything's great for your life. Right. They found that it can go one of two ways. Yeah. Good or bad. Yeah. I, I guess there's probably no such thing as a neutral mushroom experience. I don't think so. I think it's going to affect you profoundly in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, if you want to know, you got anything else? I got nothing else, sir. If you want to know more about mushrooms, you can read this article on the site, this crazy article on the site, um, How Magic Mushrooms Work by typing that into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And that means that it is time for listener mail. And I think I think we proved that we can cover other stuff like this. We will find out if we get in a lot of trouble for this one, whether we can cover stuff like this or not. And it's a big part of the world, and we're out to explain everything. Exactly. Not just flowers and bluebirds. <laughs> we have to cover the dark underbelly as well, Jeff. <laughs> All right, I'm going to call this um, uh, from Max. Okay. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. I've sent uh, email lots of times, but just not to you guys. <laughs> Max is a funny guy. Uh, I've listened to the show religiously at work, but since I was laid off in May, I'd fallen far behind. Hustling to get that dollar left. Little time for length, uh, lengthy dissections on 
cheese-making arts or why we get zits. Uh, I posted the details of my sad, unemployed, S-Y-S-K-less experience on Twitter, and you guys oh, yeah. retweeted it to your adoring throngs. You did that? Yeah. That's nice. Uh, I got many well-wishers, a couple of people who asked for my CV. What does that stand for? Curriculum Vitae. Really? Mm-hmm. I've never heard that. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it's it, but... resume. Yeah, but I, I just never knew exactly what it stood for. No, you do. It's like the WC. When you walk in there... The water closet. You're going to find a toilet. Yeah. Because it's a water closet. But they even call the toilet the water closet. It's not even just the room. It refers also to the toilet for some reason, which makes no sense to me. Eh, it's a closet. There's water. <laughs> Uh, where was I? I got uh, many well wishes. A couple asked for my CV and several new followers. Uh, I got out of this retweet. People are actually following this back as you. Uh, not much came of that alone, but it was uh, awesome that you guys did that for me. Really cheered me up when that job search had been in vain for such a long while. So I wanted to send you dudes a heads up that after four lengthy interviews with the same company, I've been hired. I was vetted more thoroughly than Sarah Palin. It's an office gig in a nice neighborhood about 10 minutes from my home, which is a real perk that's hard to come by here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'll be making more money than ever before uh, working with a friend of mine, and and now I have plenty of time to catch up on your fine program. So huzzah to that. That is awesome. Uh, Thanks for your help, dudes. If I ever find myself in Atlanta or you find yourself by the Bay, I owe you many beers. Mm -hmm. And that is Max in Martinez, California, who you can follow. At Wicked Machine, if you're so interested. That's awesome. And I guess he'll be tweeting about his great new job, working with his buddy. Yeah. Sleeping late. Making more money than ever. Rolling in dough. That's nice. Good for Max. Um, Thanks a lot, Max, for writing in. Yeah, I was wondering, actually, like a week or so ago, how he was doing. But yeah, like right away, somebody was like, hey, send me your CV. Your curriculum vitae. People are going to be, every unemployed person on the planet now is going to say, Josh, help. We'll retweet him. Apparently it doesn't do a whole lot, but we'll we'll give it a shot. Um, If you want to, I guess, let us know that you're unemployed on Twitter, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can go hang out with us on Facebook. Indeed. Facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us a good old-fashioned email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 